take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Mark in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the end of Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. You could also turn to page 7 in your bulletins if you'd like. I have the passage printed for you there along with several others that we're going to be using today. Uh, I've been asked a number of times uh, whether I enjoy going back to one service uh, and it's, I'll tell you, it's kind of a mixed feeling. On the one hand, I only get one shot to get the sermon right. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, rather than a 35-minute sermon, I can preach as long as I want. <laughs> We're going to be looking today at a couple of different passages in Mark. Uh, chapter 2 will be our main passage. I want to give you a snapshot as you're turning there of what the next few weeks are going to look like. Um, I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays. Uh, Pastor Gordy is actually transitioning from his time with Trinity to working with RUF on June the 1st. Uh, but we're going to put him to work because he's actually preaching and leading the service next Sunday on June the 2nd. And then the following Sunday on June the 9th, Brandon Hahn, uh, our RUF campus minister up in the Twin Cities, will be here to preach. And Pastor Gordy will be leading uh, the service on June the 9th. And then on June the 16th, we'll begin our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, that will take us uh, all the way through the next school year. Today, as thinking about what I wanted to do, it's a little bit of an unusual service. We've finished our study through the book of Ephesians. We're not studying, uh, starting the book of Revelation yet. And so uh, you get a one-off sermon today. And uh, it's a little more thematic. It's a little different than what we normally do here at Trinity, where we kind of work our way uh, expositionally, expositionally through books of the Bible. But I wanted us to look at this theme of Sabbath rest. And in particular, to look at it as it is given to us both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. As I was thinking about both uh, our study in Ephesians, as we several weeks ago talked about work, and then also as I've been reading uh, this particular book by some of our PCA folks practicing the king's economy, uh, I've become more and more convicted that that uh, thinking about Sabbath rest is really important for us, especially as we enter into the season of rest for our congregation. So we're going to be looking at a number of these passages on page 7. You can leave that open and re- refer to it. Uh, you'll notice if you're an outline person, the outline is not in the bulletin for you this week. Uh, if that causes you stress, uh, it's a very easy outline. I think you can just simply remember it today. We're going to be looking at what the principle of Sabbath rest is from the Old Testament. We're going to look at what happened when the Lord of the Sabbath arrived. And then we're going to try to figure out what difference that makes for us today. So let me read to you from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Again, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with, a, with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it teaches us and we pray that you would do that even now through the work of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to see wonderful things from these portions of your word. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, a pastor tells the story of a man who was walking along a busy city street one day and was approached by a beggar. Uh, the beggar came up to the man as he was walking along the street and he asked the man for some money. The man reached into his pocket, feeling some compassion for the beggar, and pulled out the, the money that he had with him. It was $7. And he felt compassion for the beggar, and so he handed the beggar $6, but he kept one because he needed to have transportation to get home that day. The beggar took the $6 and then punched the man in the face and grabbed the seventh dollar himself. Now, how does that make you feel about that beggar? All right, it's unjust, right? It's, it kind of makes you feel a little angry. Here's a man trying to do something nice and to try to help and uh, try to doing something generous. And, and this, this beggar is acting like a thief. He's acting greedy. He's acting in a way that is unbecoming. I would suggest to you this morning that we're quite like that beggar when the Lord God himself gives us six days to work and asks us for one day to rest and we take that day back as well. What do you think as you reflect on this idea of Sabbath rest. Is it something that you really think you need? Something that you feel like you can't do without? Or is it just something that you treat as kind of a luxury that is nice when you are able to enjoy it? When we don't take seriously and we ignore God's ordained, created rhythm for life, and for creation. When we treat his idea of Sabbath rest as simply a luxury, which might be nice for us to use, but not as a God-given command, then we're very much like that beggar. The longer that I'm a pastor, the more that I realize that a lot of counseling and a lot of our sin is related to our unwillingness to stop and to rest. To create and to sustain margin 
in our lives. We often turn work, whether it's vocational work or other kinds of work, into an idol. We leave no space for cultivating our relationships with our spouses, our children, our friends. We tend to neglect our church family and the fellowship that we have with God's people as a means of grace that God gives to us. We run ourselves ragged. We live tired, worn out, weary lives. And we don't make time and energy and provide focus to lean against our sin. And to quote that great theologian, Bilbo Baggins, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. When we moved to Minnesota, it was the summer, and shortly after we moved, the church quickly launched into its school year activities. As we went through that school year and began to prepare for the end of the year and to get ready for the summer, I started to find out that here at Trinity, we shut down many of the things that we do during the school year. We don't have Sunday school during the summer. Uh, many of our small groups t- go on hiatus for the summer. Uh, Many of the Bible studies uh, take a break for the summer. Youth group uh, goes on hiatus in some ways for the summer. Many of our ministries uh, move into a slower pace. And I was really confused by that, wondering why why would we shut down these wonderful things that are going on. And then I realized as I started to get to know the other churches and pastors in town that it's not just Trinity. Most of the churches in Rochester and the southeastern Minnesota do the exact same thing. And fairly quickly, I realize the important wisdom in doing this. It's good for us to have a break, to slow down and a season to rest. Not just because so many people go away for the weekends, but because we need it. All of us. But we need encouragement. We need reminding. We need motivation. We need examples Because it's against our nature to slow down and to stop and to rest. So today, let's look and see what the Sabbath principle of rest is in the Old Testament. Let's look and see what happened when the Lord of the Sabbath arrived. And then let's think about what difference it makes for us. So first of all, what is the Sabbath principle in the Old Testament? Let's just look at several of these passages, kind of a survey of several passages that address the idea of Sabbath rest. This idea of rest, a Sabbath rest, goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God finished creating the universe, and he stopped, and he blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. God rested, not because he was tired, but to give us a model, to give us a rhythm to our life. And notice, this was before the fall. It was before sin entered the world. God rested. Later, we read that as God was leading his people out of Egypt, that the, in slavery in Egypt, he rescued and redeemed them from Pharaoh and from their, uh, from their being uh, oppressed and, and slavery in that country. And he led them out into the wilderness. And on the way to the promised land, he gave them some more instructions about the Sabbath. 
Exodus chapter 16. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside to the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. This is a people that had just come out from a place where they had no rest. Pharaoh was a tyrant and his, his requirements on the people gave them no margin, gave them no space. They, they worked their hands and, and knees and, and feet to the bone. They didn't understand what taking a, a day a week to rest meant. And so God was building it in. He was reshaping. He was relearning them, reminding them about their need for rest, their need for a Sabbath it caused them to depend and to trust on the Lord. A little bit later, God gathered his people at Mount Sinai and he brought Moses up to the mountain and he gave them the Ten Commandments and God's law. We read about one of those commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God gives them this wonderful command to set apart a whole day, to remember it, to keep it holy, to do no work. And the rationale that He gives them is that it is to be done in recognition of God resting Himself on the seventh day after creation, to follow His model and example. And did you notice who was to be included in this Sabbath rest? Certainly those who were hearing, but also their children. Their servants, even the, the sojourners, the, the, the immigrants that were within their gates, and even their own animals were to be provided a Sabbath rest. That was a significant requirement in that culture and economy. It was agrarian. Farmers have lots of work to do every day. And yet God was telling them, stop. Rest. It required them to trust the Lord to provide for them. That he would be faithful to his promises. A, a little bit after that, Moses was again called to, uh, to give God's law to his people, to, to remind them of the law of God and to expand as God gave him uh, new aspects of the law. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, a recounting of the fourth commandment. But notice there's a little bit of difference. Deuteronomy 5 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember... That you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there 
with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Here was the same command to keep the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to observe it. It was for the same group of people that he mentioned in Exodus. But notice now he gives them an additional rationale. It's not only in recognition of how God had rested on the seventh day, but it's also to remind them and to point them back to God rescuing and redeeming his people out of Egypt. He's reminding them of the redemption that is theirs in Christ. A little bit later, there were some additional laws that were given about the Sabbath. I don't have those printed for you in the bulletin, but you could turn at some point later today if you wanted to and look in Leviticus chapter 25. And in Leviticus 25, we read about not only was there to be one day every week that God's people were to stop and to observe Sabbath rest in recognition of God's modeling that in creation and in remembering God's redeeming them out of Egypt. But we read that in addition to that, every seven years, there was to be a full year of Sabbath rest. Now think about that. Resting from their work for them, for their family, for their servants, for their immigrants in the midst, their animals. Imagine trusting the Lord to provide from the land that they had been working for the past six years. All of the provisions that they would need for an entire year. All were equal at that point, whether they were wealthy landowners or the poorest of beggars or people that weren't even from Israel that were within the midst. They all had to rely on the Lord and to go out and to glean together. And interestingly, in that command for that one full year of sabbatical, of Sabbath rest, not only was there to be no work, but God's people were also called on to forgive the debts That were owed to them. To reenact as it were. Their release from Egypt. And to provide for those who were in need around them. To help remove the hardship that the people around them were dealing with. Now if that wasn't enough. A day every week. A year every seven years. They're also told in Leviticus chapter 25. That every 50 years there was to be a year of jubilee. And not only were they to rest during that year, not only were they to cancel the debts of those around them, but they were even to give back the land to the people who had had to give up their land because of their debts. God providing that none of His people would be disenfranchised from their inheritance in the land. There was always hope of redemption and restoration. There's always a principle of release and rest. All of these things that God has built into his word and into creation itself are for the purpose of pointing God's people to God's redemption of his people. God created this this natural rhythm in life to point people to himself, that we might delight in his work, that we might love him and love our neighbors That we would stop and rest and remember that we would pay attention to caring for ourselves and our families and our workers and even the strangers and the sojourners in our midst. What a wonderful blessing that is. How gracious God is. Well, how did Israel respond? They swung from one extreme to the other. Much of the Old Testament is about how Israel disregarded this Sabbath rest 
not following the prescriptions for rest and taking care of their neighbors, not looking at it as a delight, but as drudgery. And they swung to the opposite extreme as well. They would go beyond God's word at times and add in man-made laws that were even greater in restricting their abilities to do things on the Sabbath. That culminated with something called the Mishnah that was around, uh, that culminated in around 200 AD. It was a collection of all the laws and there was a whole chapter on the Sabbath. These were man-made laws. These were not God-given laws. These were, these were man-made laws to try to protect everybody from breaking the Sabbath. There were 39 laws about the Sabbath that were in this Mishnah. There was to be no sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing, washing, beating, dyeing of wool, no spinning, no weaving, no separating of two threads, no tying or untying knots, no sewing stitches, no tearing cloth, no trapping, no slaughtering, no flaying, no tanning, no scraping or marking or cutting hides, no writing or erasing two or more letters, no building, demolishing or extinguishing or kindling a fire, and no transporting anything for a distance of more than four cubits. On and on and on. God's gracious and loving provision ignored and disobeyed or abused. So what happened when the Lord of the Sabbath showed up? We see several conflicts that Jesus got into with the Pharisees and the religious leaders about the Sabbath. There are two of them there printed for you in Mark chapter 2 and 3. Here we have this story of the Pharisees, the religious authorities watching and looking for Jesus to do something wrong. To break one of their laws. Jesus and the disciples in Mark's passage are out for a long walk and it's on the Sabbath and they get hungry. And I want you to imagine walking through a field of grain. And as they're walking through this field of grain, the, the disciples, their hands kind of reach up and just at the top of the grain uh, uh, shaft, they, they grab some of the, the heads of the grain and they use that to, to quiet their hunger. And the Pharisees pounced. It's not completely clear as to exactly what they were accusing Jesus and the disciples of. Perhaps they were mad because they had walked a further distance on the Sabbath than their, law, than their laws allowed. Or it's also the case that they were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath and harvesting was specifically forbidden in their laws. And violating the Sabbath law was a capital offense. And so they confronted Jesus. And did you notice how Jesus responded in verse 25? Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with their man-made laws. What did He do? He went to Scripture. Haven't you heard? Don't you know what the Bible says, Jesus says? And He takes them back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 when King David and his men were on, a, were on a run away from Saul who was trying to kill them. And they were hungry and they needed food. And David remembered that there was the consecrated bread in the temple. And so he took his men to the temple and they ate the bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priest. It was something that was not lawful to do. But God allowed it. It was a work of necessity and mercy, if you will. And Jesus' point here in Mark is to point the, the Pharisees to the reality that here in their midst was the Lord of the Sabbath, the greater, the ultimate King David, who had all authority at his disposal. 
And then there's this other scenario that happens at the beginning of chapter 3 where Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Here's a man. We have no indication this man was looking to get healed. He didn't want the spotlight on him. And Jesus sees him and calls him up front. And there's the spotlight on this man. And the Pharisees are watching. Is he going to, is he going to heal this man? Is he going to do a work of healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he confronts them again. Is it, is it good to preserve life on the Sabbath? Is it good to do a work of mercy on the Sabbath? Jesus says. And he heals them. Heals the man. But did you notice technically he did it without any work? Just told the man to stretch out his hand. And he was healed. And immediately the Pharisees storm out and start to plot on how to destroy Jesus. You see, when the the Lord of the Sabbath arrived, he proclaimed the true meaning of the Sabbath. Yes, God's given us this time and space to stop and to rest, to exercise trust in the Lord, to delight in his work of creation and redemption, to pause in the relentless pursuit of financial security and prosperity, to have at least a period of time to focus on the faithfulness and the security that we have in the Lord. He reminded them and he reminds us that the Sabbath was made for us. It's meant to be a blessing to us. It is to be for our delight, our enjoyment, and our refreshment. It's not meant to be oppressive or difficult or drudgery or depressing. But notice as Jesus goes through what he does here in Mark chapter 2, we also see that the Sabbath was a, was a day that was meant for rest and delight and healing for those who were hurting and marginalized around them. Just as the Old Testament had made clear, the Sabbath was for the Israelites, for their families, for their servants, for the sojourners, the foreigners in their midst, and even for their animals. Jesus was showing here in Mark chapter 2 the right and good and necessary uh, reality of doing works of love and service and mercy on the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath isn't just meant for us to stop and to rest. It's also meant for us to help and to share and to serve and to take care of others. Now, one last thing that we get from the New Testament before we start thinking about what this means for us. Uh, And we read in the New Testament that the Sabbath day changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week. It's referenced several times in the New Testament in Acts and several of Paul's letters. The people of God began to gather on the first day of the week to worship and to fellowship and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the rationale for that was that Jesus was crucified at the end of the week and then he rested And then he rose on the first day of the week. And I want you to reflect and to think just for a moment on how wonderful that picture is. Our Savior went to work for us. He lived a life of perfect love and obedience. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross. And then he died. And he rested in the grave. But then God rose him again from the grave... And in recognition of the resurrection of our Savior and His work on our behalf and for us that is finished and completed, God's people now gather together on the first day of the week 
to worship and to celebrate that wonderful rest, not only physically, but that we have spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter 1, we read that it was often referred to as the Lord's Day. Now, let's think about what this means for us. I've got three things for you as we finish this morning. First thing is this. We need to stop acting like we don't need Sabbath rest. We need to stop acting like the idea of Sabbath rest isn't necessary for us. That it's some kind of luxury that if we get is great. And we need to start acknowledging that we need it. The Lord's Day is meant for us to stop, for us to pause our normal week of work and to recognize and to acknowledge that we have limits. We are not able, nor were we created with the purpose to be everything to everyone all the time in every place. To honor the Lord's Day means that we make a statement that we are not going to participate in the culture's non-stop anxiety treadmill. We will not give in to the worldview whose demands never end and whose promises are never fulfilled. It means that we will confess that we will not allow work to be our Lord, to be our idol. That we will confess that we have another Lord, the one true Lord, And that is where our allegiances lie. It means that we will trust the Lord to provide for our needs, spiritually, physically, financially, professionally, vocationally, just like Israel did in the wilderness. I think many of us in this room need to confess that we're addicted to workaholism. Something that's been linked to the risk of heart attack and diabetes and poor sleep quality and weight gain and high blood pressure and depression and anxiety. It's also linked to unhappy and failed marriages and children who don't respect their parents. Practicing the idea of Sabbath rest forces us to acknowledge that our identity, our worth, our significance doesn't come from our work. That there's more to us than our vocations, our position, our promotions, our name recognition, our salaries and our retirement security. It's an acknowledgement that our bodies and our souls need rest. We need God's created rhythm of regular weekly rest. So can I just give you a couple ideas on how you might do that? If you're a student, I'm include the med students in this as well. If you're a student, what would it look like to not do any homework on Sunday? To not do any schoolwork. To work and get your schoolwork done. The other six days that the Lord's given to you. And to not do any schoolwork on Sunday. For those of you that are working. How about taking a full day off every week. And make it on Sunday if possible. Regardless of how much work you have to do. Even if it costs you something. Maybe attend the evening gathering at Trinity to kind of close off your day on a Sunday. 
Now, as I say that, I also recognize, and the Bible does too, that some of us have to work on Sunday. We have medical professionals and law enforcement officers, uh, work that has to be done in our homes. And God gave provisions for that in the Scriptures. But we still need to be diligent in trying to carve out a day each week to rest. Another idea, build some things into the Lord's Day to make it different. We have friends that their way of doing that, that on Sunday mornings when their children were little, uh, they used to have these, uh, uh, these not fancy, but just very different breakfast Sundays that they would make in these little special glasses that only came out on Sunday morning. Just something little to, to mark off the day. This is a different day. This is the Lord's Day. We're going to uh, rejoice and be glad in that. Maybe an idea is to limit your use of electronics on Sunday. Not as a law, but as another way to make it different than the rest of the week. Use your day not just to rest physically, but also use it to serve and to bless others. And that really leads to the second thing that I would give to you as an application for us today. We ought to use the Lord's Day not only for worship and for rest, but also for doing works of mercy and service and blessing others, just like the Old Testament talked about. How do you use the rest of the Lord's Day after you go home from church? It's not supposed to be another Saturday. How about coming to church prepared to seek out somebody new or somebody you don't know and inviting them over for a meal that day? Serve in the nursery by which you're then serving others and allowing them to worship and to rest. Go to visit people in the nursing home. Maybe it's people that you know, but maybe it's not even people you know. You just go and visit and sit and learn stories of other people. Go get coffee with a friend who needs encouragement. Get involved with a local ministry to those who are ministering to those in need. Next chapter ministries or New Life or Family Promise. Talk with Dale or Sandy Larson or Susan Bauman about how you could connect with international students and invite them into your home on a Sunday. Offer to provide respite care to our single moms or to families who have children with special needs. In other words, find a way to give service to the Lord and to the Lord's people that you can't necessarily do on the other days of the week. And then lastly, I think applying this idea of Sabbath rest means that we ought to practice giving rest to other people. I'm not talking about just on Sundays, but working out this Sabbath principle into all of our life. In the Old Testament, we read about how they were to release people from their debts during that year of Sabbath rest. They were to help those who were under and around them so that they might be able to rest. They were to look for ways to restore the dignity of people. So let me get a little radical for a minute. Let's think outside the box. What would it look like for you as a child of God, to forgive debts that are owed to you, whether financial or otherwise. To actually build something into your budget so that you could then forgive the debt that is owed to you. I heard a story recently about a group called Rolling Jubilee. It's actually not a Christian group, but they took their name from this idea of the year of Jubilee. This people is a group of people that give money to pool their money together and it goes into this pot. And then the group goes out and they buy the rights to collect the outstanding medical debts for pennies on the dollar. 
And then once they've collected those rights uh, for those medical debts, they write letters to the people who owed the debt and tell them that their debt's been forgiven. They've, uh, as of uh, 2017, they've uh, raised more than $70,000, which they have used and leveraged to forgive more than $31 million in medical debt. Now, I'm not saying that we could all do that, but just trying to get your brain thinking. What are some ideas? Some of you have employees who work for you or people who work under you. Make sure that they have enough paid time off and make sure that they use it. Make sure that they are able to stop and to rest. Our Crow Creek Committee is brainstorming ideas for ways that our church can come alongside of some of our Native American friends and people at Fort Thompson uh, in South Dakota. Many of you, you know that many of them are living in significant poverty. We're not talking about people who are living paycheck to paycheck. We're talking about people who are living week to week or even day to day. What if some within our church family who have business experience and work skills and other resources began to pull those things together that we might train uh, people at uh, Fort Thompson and, and relieve and break the cycle of poverty that's there? What if we started partnering together with another local church, Bear Creek Community Church and Pastor Aaron Weger, as they're developing a relationship with a mobile home park that's just north of Rochester, that's 80% Cambodian immigrants? What would it look like for us to come alongside of them and to help provide hand-on repairs and restoration and to work on their homes and community and to take the gospel of God's word of truth into that community, whether in a VBS week or starting an evening Bible study for families? In other words, take the principle of God's Sabbath rest and apply it not only to yourselves that you might rest and stop and remember the wonderful blessings that God has given to you, but also think about the way that you might use the Sabbath that God's given to you, the Lord's Day, to bless and encourage and to help others, to serve others and to do works of mercy. And look for ways that you might help others to rest as well. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that um, you would help us as we reflect on this idea of rest. That it would truly refresh our souls first and foremost as we rest in you and the completed work of Jesus for our, for, on our behalf. But I pray that as we wrestle to understand how this might apply into our lives in a, in a day-to-day and week-to-week kind of way, that you would give us uh, insight into your word and that you would give us creativity as we, as we try to be people who not only... Uh, have great delight in the Lord's day, the rest that you give us, but that we also would use it, Father, as a way of serving and meeting the needs of others, of doing mercy ministry that you give us to do. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see ways that we might be able to bring rest to others as well, that you might even draw people into your kingdom because of the ways that they see us resting in Christ and seeking to apply that principle into our lives. Would you do this for your glory and for the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Disciples were eating. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks... 
He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then in Hebrews chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The Lord's Supper, as we come to the conclusion of our service, points us to that reality that Jesus Christ has secured a Sabbath rest for his people. That we no longer have to work to earn God's acceptance and love. That that acceptance and love is given to us because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That by faith in Him, as we are united to Jesus Christ by faith, we get the rest that He earned for us. We rest from trying to, to earn forgiveness and earn His acceptance because it's given to us freely uh, through His grace and mercy. Jesus gives us this covenant meal to remind us of this wonderful truth and as a means of grace to strengthen and sustain our faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are resting in the promise of the gospel, that you're looking to Christ for your ultimate rest, that you've publicly professed your faith in Christ, that you've joined yourself with a church that believes God's word is true, whether Trinity or another church that believes the Bible is God's word, then as the elements are coming around, eat and drink, be reminded of these wonderful truths of the fact that your rest is secured in Jesus and also know that as we partake in faith, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith so that we can go out and rest in Him this week ahead. So let's pause and let's pray and let's thank Him for giving us this table. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the Lord's Supper, this means of grace. Thank You for pointing us to the rest that You have secured. That as we rest in the promises of the Gospel, we, we know that it's secure. No less secure than You have provided for Your people that we've read about already in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know that you provide for us. You provide salvation for us that is secure. And I pray that as we eat and drink, you would remind us of that reality and encourage us with that truth. Be at work through the Holy Spirit to strengthen us so that we might truly rest and delight and have great joy this week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.